I'm Erica Keswin. Welcome to Left to Our Own Devices, the show that explores how to bring our human to work and to life. Because left to our own devices, we're not connecting. Today, my guest is Sunira Madani. Sunira is the founder and CEO of Stacks, an innovative tech company that radically simplifies the payment ecosystem. In seven years, Sunira has taken Stacks, formerly known as Fat Merchant, from an idea to processing over $9 billion in payments. Sunira has become a pioneer, not only in the payments industry, but also for minority women looking to launch a startup and raise venture capital. She's raised over $150 million in capital, and her inspirational story has been featured in publications such as Forbes, Fortune, and the Huffington Post. In 2018, business journal listed Sunira as their CEO of the year. This inspired Sunira to launch her top 100 podcast, CEO School, which now inspires over 100,000 women every day, including her two daughters. Recently, Fortune recognized Sunira in their 40 under 40 list for her leadership in Fat Merchant's explosive growth, and Forbes ranked the company in their top 100 startup employers for 2020. Sunira is one of the few minority leaders in the fintech industry and continues to break down barriers with her visionary leadership. She is a sought-after keynote speaker and is always looking for other opportunities to inspire others around her. And I know you will all feel inspired after hearing her stories today. Sunira, welcome to the show. I'm so excited that you're here. Okay, Sunira, it's so great to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing amazing, Erica. I'm so excited to be here for today's show. Well, I'm excited to, to have you here. And before we jump in, for, for people to learn more about, you know, your company, Stacks, and all the great things we're going to talk about, I'll just share with the audience. Right before we jumped on, we were talking about how sometimes we just need to say no more often. And so given how much we both have going on, I have to say, Snare, I'm even more grateful that you didn't say no to this podcast so that all of the people listening can learn from you. But talk to me about that. I mean, somebody that has a business, I mean, all these different businesses and so many things you have going on, you know, what are your thoughts about saying no? I think it's actually, it's one of the hardest things to do, but it's one of the most powerful things that we can do as a human, as a business owner, a little bit, you know, about my background. I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur. I have a technology company called Stacks. It's grown incredibly fast over the last, I mean, it's been eight years of me running this business, but we have 300 employees. I have, we're doing 23 billion in payments. We just hit unicorn status. Like I just raised 250 million in venture capital. So I've got a big CEO job. And then on top of that, I have my family and my kids. And so I'm a mom of two. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old daughter. And I'm obsessed with, you know, being a mom as well as being a CEO. And I'm also, I'm, I said, like I said, I'm multi-passionate and something that I'm really, really passionate about is helping female founders really break to the next level. And so I have a podcast called CEO school, which is how you and I met, you were on yeah. the show and it was so wonderful because I didn't go to CEO school. So I didn't go to CEO school. And every day I show up for a job that's bigger than the one I had yesterday as this com- company continues to scale. And I found that there was 
a really big lack of knowledge for women entrepreneurs and women CEOs. And so CEO school is dedicated to helping female founders like really scale and break, you know, break some glass ceilings and less than 2% of female founders ever break a million in revenue. And I became obsessed with why. And obviously that statistic is appalling. It needs to change. And so I make a little impact in the world but it, it comes with a lot of social media and we've got the podcast and I mean, we have almost 200,000 on Instagram. And so that is almost a business. It became a business in and of itself. Right. And so this, this was all a compilation of, of also saying yes, right. Of saying yes to opportunity, saying yes to following my heart and following my passions. But I will tell you, it has led to, there was a point last year where I faced complete utter burnout where I think that that's usually what happens when we say yes to too many things and mm-hmm. really have to recalibrate to say, where can I say no? And without feeling guilty about saying no. And I know you and I were just talking about that, but it's definitely a struggle, Erica. It, it is hard. I said, one of my mantras is say no, not why. That sometimes we need to say no. And I think women more than men will say, I'm so sorry, I can't be on this panel or I can't go to this conference or I can't go to this birthday party. I mean, it could be work. It could be profession, it could be professional, it could be personal, it could be anything, but we tend to feel like we need to justify our no versus, you know, historically men will are much more comfortable saying no. You know, I use this litmus test that I call the fork in the road. You know, should I go to something, not go to something? Should I, you know, take on a new project, a new client, you know, go on this vacation? And I think your values should help drive you and really staying vigorous around those priorities. I mean, I mean, how do you decide what you're going to do? You know, the way that I usually, I like, I like the, the, you know, the litmus test that you're doing and it's almost similar. I have a three bucket principle that I mm-hmm. I'm happy to share. I found that, you know, rules of threes just work really easy for me to remember stuff. I don't know. As, as you get older, yeah. everything and everything just becomes more complicated. I remember like, I feel like pregnancy brain never left, <laughs> left me. And so I feel like threes I can remember. And so my rule is, is that, you know, we have seasons in life, right? So we can't just determine like what's important, like forever and all of eternity. So I kind of break down and I run my life. Like I do, like as I do my business. And so I run Mm -hmm. my life like a CEO. And so, okay, I've got the quarter ahead. I've got the season ahead. So I kind of recalibrate every quarter to say, what are the three biggest buckets that are really important to me in this season? And so and that can, you know, that can change on a season in any given season, but it's all about saying yes to filling those buckets and saying no to anything else that isn't that. So an example for me, you know, this season is about it's, it's stacks. That's always going to be part of my season. I've got a, you know, a large company, but things are pretty much smooth and in motion now. Mm-hmm. And but it's really about, you know, scaling to the next level. So that's a bucket that's going to consume my time. Right. And that's, that's something I'm passionate about. And then I've got my family, right? That is also like, that's for me going to be a pretty large bucket in my life. But right now, even within that bucket, I've kind of been like, you know what? I'm going to be part, like I am part of the family. So I'm kind of putting myself as like the higher level on this bucket, but family is kind of like this this huge pillar of mine Mm -hmm. and I'm going to spend time here. And then that only leaves room for one more bucket. Right. And so right now I'm in, I'm in season for CEO school. We have a course launching in May. I have like, it's just, things are going extremely well. We're growing. It's just the impact that we're having is so incredible. So that is a bucket because that consumes time. And so 
this is where I can take a look at, you know, I get asked all the time of like, how do you balance like work-life balance? Like what is your schedule? Probably the number one question I get asked from my audience. And I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe in work-life integration. And so we have these buckets and every single day I used to fool myself when, you know, I felt like such a shitty mom or, you know, I, I wasn't good enough at the office, like, because I was trying to juggle too much in a single day. But I learned that if I just zoom out for the week, and I know Erica, you and I share this in common for our Sunday zoom out. If I just zoom out for the week and I'm like, am I balanced across the buckets that are important to me? Mm-hmm. And I'm saying no to other things. So I actually just resigned off of two community boards. And it's really, really tough to do because these are organizations that I care about. I want to make an impact, but I'm making impact in other ways as well. And so saying no is part of this process and a way that I'm able to calibrate and I teach other women to calibrate is, does it fit in my three buckets? And then if throughout the week, I'm filling my stacks bucket throughout the week, I'm filling my mom bucket throughout the week, I'm filling my CEO school bucket. Then I truly do have a balanced integrated life, but it's not going to be perfect every single day where, you know, I'm going to be able to be hundred percent everywhere. And so it's okay if I have two days of work travel and I'm filling that bucket for stacks, but that means that I have to fill my bucket for my family and for myself. So I need to, you know, the weekends are absolutely super precious and there's nothing mm-hmm. else that needs to take place. So that's kind of how I found a way to check yourself to say, your plate can only, you know, you can stack, you can have your plate and you can fill it sky high. But usually if you look at a healthy plate, it's balanced in like three portions. And so that's kind of how I view the three bucket principle. I love it. I love it. Making sure you have your vegetables. All right. So stacks, let's go deeper there into that one bucket for a minute. You, there's a, you have so crazy. You have grown so fast. I think the last time we spoke, you were doing you know, maybe 9 billion in payments. Now it's 23 or 25 billion. You have 300 people. Last time we spoke, you had 130 people. Insanity. You're based in, in Orlando. Is that is that right? That is correct. I'm based okay. out of Orlando, Florida. We have our headquarters here. We have offices. We have about four offices across the nation. And then we have one in Canada. Yeah, it's a rocket ship, Erica. It's absolutely the craziest, most beautiful, most chaotic, most everything. <laughs> like my entire, like my dreams have come true, but it's also the hardest thing I've ever done is build this company. And I actually didn't realize how I didn't, I didn't realize the potential that I actually had. And so I've learned so many lessons in scaling a company, not only from zero to a million, a million to 10 million, 10 million to like a hundred million in revenue we're doing right now. And then our, you know, it's, it's just been incredible. The team growth is amazing. And we do have truly the most, like, it truly is the best place to work. You know, I'm so proud of the culture that we have. And it's always been that way. And you and I were chatting about this when you were on the show. And that's one of the reasons, like, I was so excited to chat with you is because this is part of something you've been, it's in your DNA and it's in part, it's a part of my DNA. It's not something we're talking about now because of, in spite of the great resignation, right? Like, we've always been, you know, strong leaders and having great cultures and building companies that last. And, and, and that comes from honestly, my immigrant kid uh, background. And I actually just did a, like a post on LinkedIn. I'm happy to share it in your show notes about, and I just did a podcast episode that goes out tomorrow on why being an immigrant kid has like helped me drive like an incredible culture and have success in business. And it's the value system. Mm -hmm. So it's family first. It's like creating joy, making an impact, doing it with your team, having like the utmost respect, whether you're the janitor or the CEO. And so all of these just like familial cultural things have truly driven my culture here at Stacks. I get to work with my brother. So we co-founded the company 
And what we do is we are a payment processor. We're head to head with companies like Stripe, if you're familiar with, and Uh we do payment processing. And we're doing 23 billion in payments today. So we are not a tiny company anymore. We are making, you know, major headlines from Bloomberg to Fortune to Fast Company. And our our platform, we have an invoicing recurring billing platform. And so we have an incredible platform and it's designed for professional companies. So it's designed for anyone who sends invoices, recurring billing, service-based professionals, field services, and healthcare. So we have a couple of key verticals that we really do support and we just have an incredible payments platform that we do it on. That's really intuitive. It's really smart. It kind of houses all the, which ways the business needs to accept payments in 2022, right? Things are really complicated. You have to take payments online in person through an invoice, through a card reader on your online shopping cart, through your QuickBooks. Like there's so many avenues for collecting payments and you have to have them, right? As a scaling business owner, right. if you the more payment channels that you have, actually it's proven that the higher your revenue for your company. But there wasn't a one hub to consolidate all the data, actually help bring it all in one house and really simplify it. So that is what Stacks does, where the payment stack for your business. And you can, you know, learn more at stackspayments.com. And I'll, you know, we'll be linking that, I'm sure, Great. below down below too. So yeah, and I'm like one of the only female entrepreneurs in like the major bro fintech space. And I'm really proud of that. <laughs> That's awesome. But you, I mean, this growth has happened in the midst of this, of this pandemic. And one of the, you know, this season is all about now what, you know, you've built this culture from day one, which clearly is helpful when, when you're trying to manage it during a pandemic. What, what are your thoughts around this whole return to office? I mean, I mean, when have you been back to the office? Do the other people come into the office? Is there tension around that? You know, how are you approaching this? Cause it's a, it's a big topic out there these days. It is a big topic and it's a really hard, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's so tough being an entrepreneur and a CEO and making large decisions for your team and for your company. And I believe in a hybrid model. I think that pandemic taught us so much on how to conduct business. I think it made things so global and so much easier in so many ways, but at the same time, there's a huge lack in collaboration and so much more burnout because people can't turn off their computers. There is a disconnect in culture as well. Right. And I know you talk about rituals. It's tough to do rituals when you're not, when you're not together and, and there's zoom fatigue, right? So as much as we can claim, like we can do all of this online, it's just not the same. And so I, I do think that there's pros and I do think that there are cons. And so I think now coming back in 2022, it's been three years. Can you believe it? three years of the pandemic. Insanity. It is insanity. And I mean, we've been talking about this new normal. This is it now, right? Like the, you know, I'm so appreciative that like life is returning back. And I think that we have to learn from all the great things of the pandemic, but we can't let it set us back. And so at Stacks, we've decided to do a hybrid model. So we have returned to the office we have about, and I think that's where the stat was coming from. We probably have about 130 people on any given day at Stacks headquarters. And we are, you know, there's remote days. It depends on your team. It depends on your tenure. And then we have, you know, people that are also remote fully, right? So I think it's it's not a one size fits all for, for staff, but I do think that having a strong headquarters and a strong culture has really helped us 
kind of bring that collaboration back and bring that innovation back. We're a technology company. Like we are fast and nimble and need to be innovative. It's really tough if you have to schedule a meeting every, you know, every five minutes, it's next to impossible. And so I did believe that the pandemic did slow down innovation and collaboration. And so with this hybrid model, I see that, you know, I see people intentionally coming in on the right days. I see teams collaborating again and then going back and doing heads down execution and, you know, not having, you know, not, you know, having the luxury of not, not commuting, et cetera, and all the great benefits that come from there. Yeah. Well, interesting. I mean, you're in this high growth, fast paced industry and that you did see innovation slow down. I mean, I, I just wrote this article for HBR a few weeks ago called, you know, how to design a day in the office that's worth the commute. And I, where my thinking is on this, I mean, the last thing you want is people commuting in and getting there and only having, you know, a fifth of their team there, one, number one, number two, doing the kind of work they could be doing from, from home. And so do you have a day, I mean, where, is there a one day a week where everybody comes in or the, where everybody on one team comes in? I mean, I think it sounds like you're empowering leaders to kind of figure it out. Is there a day when there's an all hands where you're trying to get most people in? I think that you are brilliant. One, I must say you are absolutely brilliant. And that's exactly how we've designed it. So one, we have key events that everyone's in for. So town hall, all hands, like we want to have as much attendance in person together. And those are great days for everybody to be in office. And then we've left it up to the leaders based on their own, you know, their teams, but teams are coming in together. So if marketing's in on like every Monday and Wednesday, and like, that's when they, that's when the meetings that they need to have collaboratively are taking place together. And then when they're not in office, that's when they should be doing the, not that they don't probably do zooms and other things, but that's kind of where the independent work takes place. So Mm -hmm. we have, we have really empowered our leaders to think strategically about how we can cultivate and you're right, making it worth for people to come in. Right. And so we're absolutely designing it or attempting to, I will say, right. This has definitely been a trial and error process coming back this year, but I do believe that that's how we found it to work best is the, the teams that need to be together, come together in person, and then they're remote at the same times. And so I have found it's too much to try to do the whole team and whole office. Cause we're, we're also a lot of people. Yeah. And so, and I think it just goes by departments and then sub departments based on the leader. So I just want their teams collaborating as best. And then when they have their, like, we're like, as a leadership team, our leadership meetings from a, like fr- from a strategic leadership or like my ELT team meets every Tuesday, Thursday, guess what? My leaders are in every Tuesday, Thursday, no matter what. Right. So we're all together in person during like this meeting time. And so everyone's kind of based their own teams around that as well. So I found that that's, that's the smart way of doing it. And we're still tweaking and tailoring it, but that is the hundred percent intention. And I I see that. I see people are more excited to come in and they have a purpose. Yep. hundred percent. All right. Well, keep, keep me posted because I am really loving sort of stories and, and examples to, to share with leaders could be a CEO, but somebody just running a team because the more intentional we can be, the better it will be for innovation and those kinds of things. But also there's a real link to retention and, and turnover to, to keep people feeling, feeling connected. And I remember when I was on your podcast, which is again, why one of the reasons I was dying to have you come on, you, you had so many cool rituals at Stacks, And the, the magic question that I asked companies when I was writing Rituals Roadmap was, 
you know, when do employees feel most stacks-ish? And so I guess, when do you feel most stacks-ish, most connected to sex? And, and what do you think your employees would say? I love that question. I feel like there's definitely certain days that we feel very stacksy. I'm trying to get stacksy to catch on. My whole team laughs. They're like, it's never going to catch on. But where I feel like we are most stacks is end of the month is we always have a really big lunch together as a team. It's actually my mom still makes lunch for the office last day of the month. This is a tradition, a ritual that we've had since like, I don't know, year one when we were like a team of 10, my mom is a Pakistani, like she's just a Pakistani mom, very food, like food's a huge part of like her love language. And she would make us butter chicken, you know, which is like one of like, it's just curry and rice. And she would bring it in on the last day of the month for like our team of like 10. And then it was a team of 12. And then it was a team of 20. And my mom literally still brings in, there's probably about 150 people. Like the last lunch was 150 people and still makes lunch. She still makes lunch. And now there's like a, she literally has to go to like a kitchen to go do this and has like, we like have to help her do this now. But this woman literally says that she's going to make the last day lunch until we go, like until we go public. So this has become like a really fun, like tradition that we have and mama shama. So my mom literally brings in lunch and it's, it's just the energy usually, even for like any, like, you know, sales organizations, but you know, high velocity organizations end of month is like a really big day. And so Mm -hmm. it's really nice to all be together. We have a team happy hour afterwards. Like it's just, it's a really fun day and it feels like it feels really like stacks. Right. Oh my gosh. All right. So I'm going to, if I find myself in Orlando toward the end of the month, can I I come for lunch? Yes, you can. And it's oh going to be God. the best, best Indian food, best Pakistani food you've had. Oh my God. I love that. Wow. I, I didn't even know that part of the story. And it, it, it gives me even more goosebumps that, you know, I often write about the, the study of the firemen who are the most dedicated to the ritual of the firehouse meal and how that correlates with higher performance and the firefighters that eat together the most actually save the most lives. So wow. what you're doing, whether you realize it or not, and the impact that your mom's having and bringing in food and connecting people around food really does. It has human implications, but it has huge business implications as well. So I think that's like my new favorite story. I love that. I think, I, I think that's so, I think just culturally, if that's what I was saying, like food is, and I, food is all part of ritual, right? So it is uh, we all share meals all the time together. We have a really huge, like kitchen cafe at stocks. That's kind of always been there. And I will tell you, like, this is probably the most well-fed team, but it's, it's fun. Like we do share a love of eating together. And I see like, we just came back from a wedding this last weekend of one of our, our like uh, directors of sales, half his wedding. Like I will literally say three tables, not half, like 30 people out of a hundred were all stacks employees and team members. And I'm like that, I left that wedding. And I was telling my husband, I'm like, this literally goes to show not just the cult, like it's truly people become like become family and become friends to have. It's not just like this tiny little, I've got like six coworkers at my wedding that I love a third of your wedding, part of your wedding speech. It's a beautiful place to be. And we're hiring. So please send <laughs> all the people my way. Cause we're hiring. I, from yes. People. Look, I'm a big, I'm a big connector. So we'll, I'm happy to help get some, get some people. And I mean, it sounds like who wouldn't want to work there. It's such an amazing culture that brings me to, I guess my second to last question, which is, 
A, you're hiring. B, there's a big focus on culture. How do you, one of my new topics that I've been somewhat obsessed over lately is onboarding. And especially for, um, you know, when you bring in more diverse people into a company, there's data that shows that, you know, if you don't onboard with intention and give people that sense of psychological safety and belonging, they're very likely to leave within that first year. So how are you thinking about onboarding, especially in this hybrid, remote, part in, part out kind of world? I, I love all the things that you're thinking about, Erica. I mean, these are the things that these are the exact conversations I'm driving with my team every day. I actually recently wrote, I don't know if you saw it, you know, everyone's talking about the great resignation and I was talking about the great onboarding. Like we need to be talking more about like the people that are leaving are going somewhere. And I hundred percent believe in what you said about the onboarding experience, even for customers, right? Like literally down to customers, to your, your team is so critical. And so we have an entire team that's dedicated to, to onboarding. And their job is, it's not just about like the culture officer. It's truly getting them through understanding who we are as a business, what our culture is actually like, what it's like to be successful here, where can they go for resources? And it's almost a guide and a friend that's like carries you through your onboarding journey. And there's checkpoints along the way. And something that we do make sure is every new hire comes to headquarters. And so there's a week of onboarding and they're here for the week. And, and I think onboarding begins from even their offer letter, right? It begins even on the mm-hmm. interview process. So yep. we take all the way back to say, how can we drive just incredible experience all the way through? And that's done just with purpose and intention and showing your value system. I, I would say that the, the thing that has really guided me the most in building this culture is I don't have, you know, BS core values that are just written on the wall. We have three core values here at Stocks and those are imprinted in your, like we're higher. If you're not, if we don't feel that if from an, from even a resume, they're not even getting an opportunity at the table, but it is ingrained in, you know, from the, from the very beginning and it's imprinted into the DNA of our people. And that's my guiding principle of how we're kind of taking them through onboarding and success here at stocks. And so our values are getting the right stuff done. So it's not just about, you know, getting stuff done. It's getting the right stuff done. Really. It's about creating joy. And so we create joy for each other, not just our customers and our vendors and our partners and our investors. And so like just really being amazing and brilliant and fun and respectful and just really creating joy for those around you is a huge value for us. And then one team is our third value. And as I mentioned, I work with my brother where this is a, you know, family business as well. And part of like our DNA was always one team, one dream, and we're always team above self. And so that's how I want our people to be. And that's truly this team that we have. And so onboarding, having a focus, but the focus is really around the value-based And then of course, the Mm -hmm. technical side of onboarding, you know, that's up to the leaders and the managers and there's trainings and making sure that we can technically onboard, you know, for their, for their job role. But there is a, there's a person and uh, her name's Katie Rosa. And she is, she's literally stacks in a person. Like she literally embodies like every single value and she helps new hires all the way through. And that's just her job. Like her, that's, there's a dedicated body just to make sure that the person is checking through and having a, a beautiful onboarding journey and feels like they have a home. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, offline, like that's my, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that at some point. I didn't even realize, and I'll get from you that article that you wrote on onboarding and we'll share it with everybody because I, I do think that it's a huge opportunity. It's often a missed opportunity and you only get, you know, one chance to make a first impression. And I could not agree more that that onboarding starts 
the day you get that offer letter and, and how does that offer letter bring about joy? So, oh my God, I could talk about that for an hour with you. All right. So my final question, and then I want you to share with everybody of this really cool class that I think I might need to take starting in May. We'll end on that. But my final question is a question that everybody gets on my podcast, which is, Sunira, what do you do in your life that makes you feel most like you? Oh, wow. That's a really tough question. Where I feel the most like me is, I love being a mom. I will tell you, like, I, I really do just really enjoy the quality time with my family. And so that's definitely like super high. And from a, just like a person, like outside of just like serving others. Right. Cause that's where my head always goes. Like for mm-hmm. me, what feels like Sanira is when I'm speaking or when I'm, when I'm on my podcast, like I love being a podcast host and I love speaking at conferences and I just love sharing the passion that I have for business and how I've built this company. I do believe that it's, 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 it's special, but you know, I think that being a great founder can be learned. And I wish I had, you know, all these tool sets that nobody shared with me. And so for me, just the passion of business, like I just always have a business brain on and where I feel the most like me is when I'm talking about business and talking to, you know, women entrepreneurs, especially. And like, I feel them, I get them, I am them. And that's where I feel truly like my most highest authentic self. Well, thank you so much. I know as we kicked off this podcast, you have 101 things to be doing today. So I'm so glad that you said yes to the ask to be on on my podcast. And in closing, just tell us about this class, this course that's going to start in May. Yes. I love it. So Erica, I didn't go to CEO school. I didn't have an Erica in my life, which I wish I had met you (laughs) years ago. And I'm so lucky that I've stumbled upon this in the right way, but I didn't have these resources. And I do believe that building, you know, it's one thing to start a company, but going from founder to CEO was a journey. And, you know, there are specific playbooks, like over the last 10 years, I have learned to, you know, what got you from zero to a hundred, like your six figures, isn't what's going to get you from six to seven figures and seven to eight and beyond. And so scaling a company requires a team. It requires processes. It requires like KPIs and what to measure and how to build a culture and how to market. Like there's a different level of like that. You need to pull the lever on for scale to scale your company. And it actually happened during the pandemic. So I have a, I have a really large Instagram following. You can follow me at Sanira Madani. So it's my first and last name. And, you know, I was always talking about business and just, you know, all the things I'm learning at, at stocks, I was just sharing online with women entrepreneurs. And during the pandemic, I was so tired of doing like Instagram lives to answer questions that were always coming in through my DMS and through the newsletter and all of that. And I ended up starting a podcast called CEO school. And it's really based on the premise that I didn't go to CEO school and and no one does, right? No one goes to CEO school. (laughs) Yeah. And we're all learning as we're growing and we should be learning from people and experiences, not just from textbooks. And I found that there was a big lack in and gatekeeping in business, but the people that we're learning from, I was so tired of learning from like the finance bros and like men in business. And these things that we're talking about today, women naturally are born. We're, we're actually greater CEOs. If you look at the statistics of investments made into women entrepreneurs and the return that we have, and it's because we have natural leadership abilities. We have natural skills that we're empathetic. We know how to build teams. We have high EQ. And so I was not double downing. I was always afraid of 
I was, I wasn't a confident CEO, right. Mm -hmm. I was always, you know, I had it, you know, and most women do like we have, you know, this voice in our head, that's just, we're never good enough that we're perfectionist and we're trying to do things how we should be doing it. And I was so tired of shitting all over myself. And when I finally just learned to be me and show up as my highest and best self, that's actually when my business boomed and when things really took off for us. And so CEO school is that it's a podcast and it's a, it's a community. And I bring in amazing experts like you that come in onto the show and into the club. And we're learning from actual women who've been there, done that. Mm-hmm. And something that's been missing is the course and just, a, you know, a, how to go from founder to CEO. So the course launches in May, it's going to be the entire playbook of scaling a company from power, people, profits, product and your pitch. So it's a six part framework, really how to scale the company to the next level. And it's been a year and a half in the making. It's super highly produced. It's going to be the best business course actually taught by a woman in business who's built a unicorn, a billion dollar company and multiple seven figure companies. And so I'm so excited to share this with, with your audience and everyone. And so there's a wait list. We're going to have a really amazing live experience in May that you don't want to miss out on. And we're just bringing just incredible, incredible people to the table and learning, you know, learning, going from founder to CEO, because none of us, you know, go to CEO school. And so that's the course. Well, but the good news is now there is a school. Now we can go to CEO school. <laughs> there so, is a uh, CEO school. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much. I look for, you know, it's funny. We've done these two podcasts, but we've never met in person. So one of these days, if you make it to New York or I'll come to Atlanta for some butter chicken, or not Atlanta, Orlando for some butter chicken, which sounds amazing. So thank you. Have a great rest of your day. And I look forward to being in touch. Thank you, Erica. We'll see you soon. Okay. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Left Your Own Devices. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. If you want to receive my monthly-ish update on all things human at work, or just want to say hello, email me at erica at ericakeswin.com. Stay safe, stay connected, and I'll see you soon.